encountering challenges, making decisions, confronting struggles, and understanding the reasons for different positions are but a part of being engaged in our community's ability to discuss and make advances toward a more inclusive and fair society. However, there is no set formula to achieve these objectives. In an era where so much misinformation thrives, as Latinos, we must be well informed. And this video, Many Roads, One Destination, presents listeners with 30 minutes of thought-provoking discussions on the relevant issues we face as a community. Welcome back, me and Over the last couple of years, we have witnessed a deliberate erosion of our freedoms. And now it's clear that women's health and access to appropriate health choices are in question. On May 2nd, an initial draft majority opinion was leaked showing that the Supreme Court is prepared to reverse Roe versus Wade, the court case that 50 years ago guaranteed federal constitutional protections to abortion rights. But this league has led to widespread concern nationwide about the decline in reproductive rights in recent years. Today, we want to use our podcast to try and understand the implications this will have for women in the labor force and how access to health care, contraceptives, preventive care, and birth control impact working families. So today, we have invited an array of labor leaders to help us explore this conversation. And I'll start with Yanira Merino, President of the Labor Council for Latin American Advancement and the National Immigration Coordinator at LAYUNA. And Cristina Barrias, LACNA's National Chapter Development and Field Coordinator and proud member from the UA. Hola, Yanira. Gracias, Cristina. Hola. Do you see this issue as a continued erosion of workers' rights? We have a workforce in this country that is coming to be always a minority of women. It is a continuation of an attack on workers' rights. We cannot talk about workers' rights without having to talk about the other side of the coin, which is the economic. How do these laws affect directly the economic of workers? This case is specifically a women. Yes, I'm glad that you brought up the economics of it because it is, I believe, a strong part of this whole issue. Definitely, there's different studies. The fight for the legal reproductive rights in health services has been part of the women movement. The majority of those women are workers because we know what it really to have access to healthcare. As women, we know that because we need to be able to take care of our bodies in order to be more productive, in order to continue going to work every day. But it doesn't stop there because if we don't have the ability to determine what to do and when to become parent, that affects us. There's study that says that many women that have children can hardly ever work full-time. What that means? Retirement, healthcare, that means what you're able to produce worldwide for yourself and for your family. It has a direct impact when it comes to that. There's another study that also shows that women that don't have the choice or access to healthcare, but specifically women healthcare with bodily autonomy also affected the pay gap. That's a number one thing. Why? Because if you're able to plan where you become a parent, that gives you the opportunity to finish school. But if you're not, that affects you. And you most likely as a woman will end up working in low-wage jobs. So we cannot separate the ability to plan when you want to become a parent 
with your self-determination of your bias, the impact of this in your daily life as a worker. If you are able to plan ahead, that allows you to finish, for example, an education, a training school that would allow you to earn more money. And that's why I would always say this is a worker issue that affects economically your ability as a woman to create wealth for your family and your future. As we know, if you get stuck in this wealth gap, your children tend to follow in that same status. And it's hard to kind of get out of that. This, as you said, is a healthcare issue, but it's also an economic issue. So how do you think going forward, people should consider this type of actions against women's healthcare? You said that it's a health issue and economic issue. But what I put an emphasis that is it's a worker issue. I insist on this because in so many discussions that have happened around this issue, we have the tendency to separate those. We have the tendency to say that a woman's right to access to a good health plan or right they have reproductive legal protection, it's not a workage. That's not the same thing that you ask when a man comes and asks for health care. And we have to consider that. At the end of the day, when you as a woman, as a mother, as a wife, as a sister, as a daughter, most likely you could end it up with the responsibility of taking care of your family. When you do that, you just don't want to step and say, yes, healthcare. You want to say women's healthcare, because that has the ability that you talk about planning when you become a parent. If you decide to do it and the ability that you have, once again, self-determination of your body. And that is important that a woman who's starting her career, her job knows in advance that she has the ability and she has access to that in order to be equal partners within the workforce in this country. So woman right. Yes, it is a human right, but it's also worker right because those are one and the same. Usted no puede decir trabajadores derechos humanos y puede decir derechos de trabajadores sin pensar que son todo lo Entonces, ¿cómo seguimos hacia adelante? How do we move forward? First, once again, we have to say this is a worker right and we have to defend it the same way that we defend the rights of workers to organize the rights of workers collective bargaining agreement. We have to defend the why. Because, Christina, if we don't defend this right now, under this attack, what's coming next? The eight hours? It's coming next that an employer will be able to tell you when you go to the bathroom, have any time. And lastly, just because we're part of a gender, we're not going to be allowed to have a voice in our workplace? That's what it's coming. If we don't see this connected to workers' rights, if we don't demand it to be, uh, I think well, we are at the verge of losing a lot more understanding the business attack of workers. Let's not silo this conversation. Let's bring it up and defend it as we have defending everything else. You lose one right, you're going to lose another right in the future. Definitely. Remember that the fight for a, a woman to have legal rights to determine on her body took many years, many generations of women standing in the shoulder of those women. But they won. This is law that is established already. And trying to reverse that, and when they do it, what's going to stop them to continue with all the fundamental rights that we have not only as human beings, but as workers in this country? Yanira, what would you say to our brothers, our male counterparts, that they not necessarily think this affects them. I'm going to say that there's a couple of sayings, Jose, is an injured to one is an injured to all. And we have to teach ourselves to be as workers. In the fight for immigrant rights, we try to do the same thing. Yes, it's specific issues, it's immigrant rights. But at the end of the day, it's the ability to work freely without being afraid that in the status 
puts you in a position to be more exploited. So the same position with women. That's why I will keep repeating this is a worker right. Because if you limit a group of people just because of their status, their gender, their age, or whatever excuse it is, you actually ended up hurting the entire working class. I mean, when a woman is not able to bring enough, earn equally to the men, it affects her family and his family. This is not only a women issue. This is a community issue. This is a family issue. So to my brothers, I would say, see it that way. Because if you don't see it that way, if you want to see it this way, there's another saying to say they came from the black first and I didn't do anything. They came for the juice and I didn't do anything. What are you going to do when they capture you? And that's why I said, what right they're going to go after? The right to the eight hours? That affects everybody. So it's not only that we defending the right of a woman to have access to a healthcare with rights to determine about her body, but also her ability to have a good health plan, to be able to plan her family, to be able to plan the workforce without having to put up with more exploitation because of her gender. But at the end of the day, it's also defending the right of a worker to have representation, to have a voice, and to say, ya basta. Yanira, how do you see this impacting minority women in particular? The group of women that will be more impacted if Roe versus Wade is overturned will be, will be women of color. Every single study has shown that women of color are the ones that cannot afford to go to another state. Like people who have to come to Maryland or go to California or New York, and that takes money. And those are women of color. Right now, we have women of color making less money than white women, of course, and than white men. This would affect them even more. The ability for them to actually have more education is more prominent among Latina and African American, and then among immigrants from whatever part of the world they come, but especially of color. So their ability of them not having access, once again, to a good health care with legal reproductive rights would affect women of color, bringing them to live under or below the federal poverty line. If right now we're dealing with a crisis when it comes to the pay gap and where that put us as Latina, after this one, if they achieve this one, the challenge is going to be even greater. Do you see that as a deliberate move? Yes. But I see it even more. I see that it's a deliberate move to attack on workers. And what is it that we have not been talking for 50 years is the attack on workers' rights is a attack on the economic perspectives that we have as a society and as workers to be able to make it to the middle class. That is an attack. The same attack that it is against workers being able to organize. Workers having a voice, working, having a collective bargaining agreement is creating more obstacles for us to achieve that. To have a collective voice, we have to do another conversation. Roe versus Wade is the law. We don't know if that's going to be a reverse, but if that law can be a reverse, any other law will be a reverse. And that's very scary. And as workers, we have to activate and do something. So as a call, a call to action, especially to workers and allow workers to women that we cannot allow this to happen. Yanida, you are 100% correct. This is a call to action now more than ever. Thank you so much for being here with us today and taking up your time to share your thoughts. And let me introduce Janella Hines. She is the Vice President of the Academic High Schools of the United Federation of Teachers and the Secretary Treasurer of the New York City Central Labor Council. Welcome, Janella. Thank you so much for having me here today. It's my honor to speak with you all about 
this really, really important issue affecting all workers across the country. Janelle, I know that you share many of the same concerns that we all have. So let me begin by asking, how is it that we find ourselves on the brink of this reversal? We are seeing this step backward in the rights of working people, poor people, women, people of color, LGBTQ people, because of the concerted effort, people with wealth and influence to limit and stifle our voices. They've used the political system to limit our voting rights, to gerrymander districts, to suppress voting. And as a result of all of these changes, we saw a conservative government being elected in 2016, where many federal judges who didn't have the necessary qualifications or experience being placed into lifetime appointments. And some of those justices include the justices on the Supreme Court. And so these people, after lying in their confirmation hearings, are now taking steps to reverse Roe versus Wade. The thing that strikes me is that we are not only talking about reproductive of justice. We know because they've told us that they are coming after immigration rights. They are coming after interracial marriage. They're coming after contraception and their intention to harm everybody, to silence everybody, to eliminate anybody who's not male and white and Christian and ultimately conservative is part of this larger plan. And so we have to fight back. So Janela, why should the labor movement devote time and energy to a woman's right to reproductive freedom. The labor movement has to devote energy and resources to this fight because it is connected to the fight for justice for all working people, whether you're organized or you're not in a traditional labor union. These forces are trying to silence our voices, trying to keep us powerless and voiceless. And so in order for us to ensure that working people across the country have the right to a safe and healthy workplace, have the right to health care for their families, have the right to working conditions that allow them to be as productive as they can possibly be, that we have to be engaged in this fight. A lot of times people talk about abortion as if it is an issue that only affects women. But we know that the right to choose is an issue that affects everybody, whether people talk about it or not, whether it is public or not. We know that many people across this country have had to face the challenge of an unwanted pregnancy, whether it's because of a health issue, an economic issue, a social issue. People have faced this issue and they have the right and should have the right to make that decision with their doctor. So we started to see this mass mobilization like the one on B-14. They were very well attended. It's obvious that the struggle isn't over. What do you say are the next steps that labor has to take? You're right. The mass mobilizations are only the beginning of this huge fight. People are going to have to continue to take to the streets and let people know that we have to make our voices heard to ensure that our rights are protected. Without our commitment, without our collective action, without our organizing, we haven't ever 
accomplished any just and good thing. It's the truth of the matter with regard to all of the history of this country. And so we're going to have to continue to take to the streets. When the decision is released, we're going to have to be out in the streets. When they come for other rights that we have, we're going to have to be out in the streets. We're going to have to make our voices heard, and labor has to be a part of that. In this instance, we have to be a part of these calls for justice with reproductive justice organizations. But in other instances, we're going to have to work with people who are concerned about education reform. We're going to have to work with people who are concerned about immigration. We're going to have to work with people who are fighting for voting rights because these, all of these issues are issues that affect the workers that we represent and the workers that we want to represent. And so our resources, our know-how, our experience is going to help us to get to the larger goal with more efficiency and effectiveness. Janella, as always, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. And now let me introduce Elise Bryant, the president of the Coalition of Labor Women, and Carla Pineda, deputy director of the Labor Council for Latin American Advancement. Welcome, Elise, and thank you for being here. We're going to talk about reproductive freedom with everything that we are seeing happening across the country in the past days. Can you tell me what reproductive freedom means to you and how does it connect to the labor movement? I believe that, that every woman has a right to the privacy of her health and well-being and pregnancy is part of that. I am very thankful that unlike my mother's generation of women, I got to choose a contraception that was safe and available so that I could choose when and if I want to get pregnant and deliver a child. I grew up at a time where that wasn't available to a lot of women and so a lot of women ended up in marriages that didn't quite work uh, or in situations that didn't quite work or being a single mother and as you and I both know it's financially emotionally challenging to raise a child or children by yourself in this country and in the culture that we have. We know that women are paid less. We know that women of color are paid less than white women. We know that black women are paid less than Latinx women are paid less. And so you have that economic strain that's put on you that you can't control, but you can control what happens in your own body. I believe that's a right that every woman must have and needs to have, and it's currently protected by the law. It takes a lot to raise kids. I'm glad I had a choice of when and when to have my children. It is something that's very important. You represent the Coalition of Labor Union Women. I'm sure this is an issue that is very important for you. In the past, where has Clue stood on this issue? And where do you stand now? What's the difference? Clue has always stood up for reproductive rights. We were formed in 1974. The birth control pill came into existence in 1970. And at that time, women did not have access to safe abortions. So we have advocated for that since that time, a right to safe reproduction, safe contraception and, and safe abortion. You, you shouldn't have to go off some dark alley somewhere with a clothes hanger in order to terminate an abortion. And I know for me and my generation and my friends in college, we had to go to New York in order to get an abortion. Now you can get it where you live and the clinics provide a safe and comfortable place for you to have that operation done. And years ago, there was a panel of women who were uh, very wealthy women who came to speak about the right reproductive rights and the right to uh, safe abortions. And they talked about how, because they were wealthy, they always had access. The doctors would call it a DNC, right? Oh, we're gonna go in for a DNC and terminate their pregnancies and was done. And this was accepted and they knew it. 
And they thought that every woman, regardless of her economic status, her income, should be able to have that access. And so Clue has always advocated, and we still do right now. And right now, this whole thing with Roe v. Wade and the current Supreme Court and that leaking of their opinion is just an outrage. I know that for especially women of color and where we come from and our culture and our background, this is a very sensitive topic. But so do you really think that it is time for us to redefine what reproductive rights are because it is beyond abortion. Absolutely, it is beyond abortion. It is a woman's right to choose in whatever way that presents itself. And for the women who choose not to have an abortion, to have access to good prenatal care. We know again that infant mortality rate is higher among women of color because they don't get the kind of prenatal care that you need in order to know whether the pregnancy is going well or whether the pregnancy needs some help or whatever the situation is. We're not having that same kind of access. And so to this day, so we want to make sure that that happens for everybody. So whatever your choice is, it's your choice, but you get to make a healthy choice. You get the support from medical teams and knowledgeable people who will help you do what you need to do. Because we want to bring children into a world who are healthy and wanted, able to be taken care of. Because one of the things is also, along with that, is childcare. I mean, the cost of childcare is just phenomenal. You know, in the days of your mom being able to take care of the kids for you while you go out, or your girlfriend take care of the kids, that's out. I mean, women are out working. And so you need affordable childcare and childcare that you know that you can trust your children with that when you come back they're going to be safe and clean and healthy and taken care of in a way that helps them promote their health and well-being. So yeah, we want to make sure that childcare is available and affordable for more women in this country. Tell me what do you think we need to continue to do in order for us to stand united while we advocate for reproductive justice. I think part of it's what we're doing right now is we're reaching out across our constituency group lines to communicate with each other and get that message out. I think we need to have a coherent message, collective message that we can also put out together and that we use all that social media that's out there to help get the message out and connect with women. And I think having town hall meetings would be very helpful on this subject. I was at the the pro-abortion rally that happened two weekends ago. I can't remember, lose track of time now. And it was just so powerful to see all of the people out there. And I think about 20 years ago, it had been mostly women, and it would have been mostly women of European descent. And in this day and age, it's like the diversity of America is reflected in that march. And there's young women and middle-aged women and senior women and families and men and LGBTQ, you know, people are wearing their colors and saying, yeah, we're out here. And little girls are out there marching with their mom and their dad or their sitter or whoever that is with them are out there with signs saying, you know, this is what we have a right. And I just think, yeah. This is no longer just a leftist issue. This has become mainstream, and I think that there are lots of women and men and non-binary people who are saying, oh no, enough is enough. You know, get out of our bodies and our privacy and let us do what we need to do in order to have a full and healthy society. What are Clue's next steps in this fight? And if you can just leave us with like a call to action to our members and young members. We're talking with someone from the White House about having a meeting on this topic to begin having that voice and that forum out there 
for people to say. And of course, we're going to begin more educational program to let women know what it is available and what they need to do. And we're going to work with LACLA. We're going to get it out in Spanish and English and anything else we need to do to make sure women know that they have a right and that that right needs to be protected. Thank you so much, Elise, and thank you for the work that you're doing. And of course, LACLA is a big ally on this fight and anything that we can do and continue to educate our community, you can always count on us. Thank you so much for the time. Absolutely. Thank you, sister. You have a good one, Carla. And now to continue with this most important conversation, let me introduce Lupe Rodriguez, Executive Director of the Latina Institute for Reproductive Rights, and Diane Harris, LACLA's Communication and Policy Associate. Today, I have the pleasure to speak with Lupe Rodriguez, the Executive Director of the National Latina Institute for Reproductive Justice and a leader in reproductive rights, health, and justice movements. Thank you for being here. Can you give us a little bit of your background and let us know what has brought you to this movement? I came to this movement because I come from an immigrant family that had an experience in coming to the U.S. from Mexico to seek healthcare that really created an understanding in me from a very early age about the differences that immigrants experience in this country in being able to access healthcare, which I firmly believe is a human right. I think that personal experience always followed me throughout my life, turning on an advocacy spark in becoming an RJ advocate or reproductive justice advocate was when I was working in Mexico. After grad school, I I went to work in Mexico and I um, was working for an NGO that was um, looking at maternal mortality in, in Mexico and how that was conflated with abortion, deaths by clandestine abortion. And began to make the connection around the the specific need for advocacy and need for focus in this space as a general question around what we need to do in this world so that communities have a bodily autonomy and, and really clear choices around what they can do for themselves and their families. And reproductive justice, reproductive healthcare are really central elements of healthcare that are, are necessary for folks to be able to live their most free, their most liberated lives. So I came to that conclusion through all of that. And, and that's how I've arrived where I am today. I've re- worked in reproductive rights, reproductive health, and now in reproductive justice. I feel like I found my home the National Latina Institute for Reproductive Justice. You spoke about reproductive rights. Could you explain to us what is reproductive rights and how it's much larger than Roe v. Wade? Reproductive rights are generally the rights that we have in law, in the Constitution, to be able to make choices about our reproductive health, our reproductive choices. The way that we do this work in the movement, as we call it, so all of the folks who are kind of focused on repro, is through three different frameworks. Reproductive rights, which is part of the framework that focuses on the legal right and the courts, kind of advocacy through legislation and advocacy in the courts to be able to keep the right in the books for us to have access to birth control and abortion. And then there's reproductive health framework, which is where a lot of like Planned Parenthood and other healthcare organizations live who provide the actual services, who have the clinics on the ground and who are are the providers of the care. And then there's the framework of reproductive justice, which is the framework through through which we operate at Latina Institute, which looks at all of the broader picture and the intersectionalities that uh, communities experience to be able to actually have access to reproductive healthcare 
trying to exercise their reproductive rights. And through reproductive justice, we address the elements of intersectional oppressions, as we call them, that keep people from being able to exercise their rights. We know that for many of our people in our communities, and by our communities, I mean Latinx, Latina and Latinx, immigrant, other BIPOC communities, despite the fact that we've had Roe versus Wade as a protection for abortion rights in this country, many of our communities still have not had real access to care. Some of us have not been able to have the transportation to travel the hundred miles or so that some of us have to travel to get that care. There are just like other practical barriers and structural barriers that have kept many of our communities from being able to exercise our rights. And so we endeavor to work the reproductive justice framework to address all of those different barriers and address the inequities that continue to exist despite having these legal rights. Sort of where it's bigger than just having the right, where we know that, that there are so many conditions that our communities face, that certain communities face, that keep them from being able to exercise their rights fully. You mentioned a little bit about how reproductive justice is different for these different communities. Can you speak more about how it impacts Latinas and undocumented women? For the Latina and Latinx community, we know that our community tend to be most likely to not have access to health care because we are the most likely to not have access to insurance coverage, which is the way that most people get their health care in this country. That's because of documentation status often, because of immigration status. It's because we have laws in this country that even when you are a legal permanent resident or have some kind of legal status or immigration status in this country, you um, are not able to get access to care. You have to wait five years. There's a five-year bar. And so there are myriad barriers that keep people from being able to have access to care, and particularly in the Latina and Latinx community. So that's one. I think the other thing is that in our community, just by the, the data, tend to have lower paying jobs, jobs that are less likely to give us benefits and access to care, jobs that don't give us time off when we need it. So all of those elements are part of what we talk about in reproductive justice as intersecting barriers that, that keep people from being able to exercise their rights. We know, for example, with what's happening in Texas with Senate Bill 8, which is a bill that was passed last year that essentially made abortion illegal after six weeks of pregnancy, that there's been discussion about people leaving the state to get the care they need. We know that if you're an individual who has a job that doesn't give you paid time off, where you don't have health care coverage, you have to come up with the money to pay for the procedure in another place where you might be able to get it, you also have to find the time off somehow to be able to go and travel to go get this care somewhere else. And so all of those elements have essentially made it impossible for many people in the Latino and Latinx community and, and other uh, communities that have been marginal have just made it impossible for them to be able to get the care they need under the circumstances. And I think that's why this is so important and so central for us. And the third thing that's very practical barrier for many is that in many Southern states, including Texas and in the Rio Grande Valley, where we organize at Latina Institute, there are internal immigration checkpoints that folks encounter along their travels, even 100 miles past the north of the border with Mexico. Folks cannot travel 
travel freely as it is within the state that they reside in. And so the idea that folks might be able to travel outside of these states is also impossible in a situation where folks are faced with, do I drive through this checkpoint to get to my abortion care and face the possibility of being separated from my family if I'm detained or, or and deported? And so there are these questions that also come up for the community that are very central and important that affect our ability to get this care. And those are just some of the things that affect the Latina and Latinx community very specifically and, and especially hard. Our members and our organization does focus on the Latino community. We recognize how intersectional it can be. You highlighted how geography may like, play such a role, specifically as so many of these laws are being passed. Beyond that, are there other ways in which the location in which a person lives like influences how this attack on reproductive rights influences them. Yeah, definitely. You know, as it is in this country, we have a lack of healthcare providers in general in in more rural, more isolated communities. And so I think that that's a problem to begin with. I'll give the example of the Rio Grande Valley in in southern Texas where we do some organizing work. Even before this bill that passed Senate Bill 8, which I referenced earlier, there was only one health center where folks could get abortions in that part of the state. Otherwise, they would have to drive hundreds of miles to one of the bigger cities or, of course, cross the border to go to Mexico to get the care they needed. And now that this health center is no longer able to provide this care or, or not past six weeks, then folks don't even have that option. And, and that's a situation in various parts of this country to begin with, that there's maybe one place that folks have been able to go to get the care they need. And in many places, if Roe versus Wade is overturned, as we're expecting it to be, if states pass laws entirely outlawing abortion or even going as far as criminalizing it, which is another thing that folks are trying to do, we expect that there will not be any care or any access in any of these places. Because to begin with, many of these communities did not have adequate care for who lives there. Is there anything you think, specifically our Lachlan members or us as individuals, that we can do about this, that we can do to like protect our rights and the rights of those that we care about? Absolutely. I think we can all be involved in this work by connecting with organizations that are on the front lines. I'll start by saying getting involved with organizations and collaborating is first. Secondly, is really talking about these issues as being a part of an economic justice, you know, reproductive rights, a person's ability to make the choice for themselves and their families, when to have a family, when not to have a family, all tie into a person's um, ability to put food on the table, a person's ability to have a roof over their head, their ability, their employment ability, I mean, everything. And so I think that, that this should be something that's discussed in the same conversations around socioeconomics and how these things are very integrally tied. And that, frankly, as mentioned, so many of people get their health care, get their ability to have health care through their employment and through the work that they do in this country. And, and that it, it's incredibly important for there to be support for folks to have have the full breadth of healthcare services and that reproductive healthcare is healthcare is part of the full breadth of resources that people should have when they are employed. So I think those two things are very important. Getting involved if you can and in a way that's that's collaborative with the movements that are doing this work on the front lines, but also just even talking about this in the work that, that you do and with, with the membership that you have as a central part of and very integrally tied to the work that you all do as well. The other thing is that we're all fighting for the same folks. Like we're thinking and moving toward justice for the 
same communities and, you know, working together is, is a really important part of how, how we move forward. And I'll add one last thing we're working on right now on the legislative policies. I, I think to be honest, we know that long-term organizing and long-term work to build power and, and to change power structures in our communities is what's going to get us past the kinds of challenges that we're facing. I also think that there are some things to do in terms of like legislative advocacy and, and trying to move things forward while we have these opportunities. And something that we're working on at Latina Institute is the Women's Health Protection Act, which is a bill that would put federal protections to stop states from being able to pass laws that would criminalize abortion or, or that would make abortion illegal or take away access to abortion. And so we are hoping to pass that in the Senate. And to the extent that folks would be interested in making a call to their senators, that's another thing that folks can do to support. Is there anything else we can take away from this? There are two things that I was thinking about, one of which I, I should have mentioned earlier when we were talking about the undue effect of what is happening right now with reproductive rights, health and justice on the Latina and Latinx community. That first thing is that we know that when abortion is criminalized, it is our communities, community and other communities of color that have historically been targeted and at risk for being incarcerated and detained and, and frankly, again, just criminalized. Our communities are already criminalized much more than our white counterparts. We honestly feel that this kind of change in legislation and policy around abortion care and the movement toward criminalization is just another way that our communities can be further criminalized and targeted. The second thing is that I think it's important for folks to know that abortion is still legal and will be. We know that there's also a lot of misinformation that our community is presented with around these things and that miscommunication or bad information is also prevalent within folks who would like to create barriers for our community and is propagated by them. And so we definitely want folks to understand that until final decision and subsequent state policies go into effect, abortion is still legal in all 50 states in the U.S. In Texas, there's different restrictions, of course, and the same in other states, but that for now, abortion is legal and that folks should be able to keep their appointments and get the care they need, and that will still be legal in other parts of the country, potentially as well. And we really want that message to get out because we know that there's a lot of misinformation and that folks are often kept from being able to get what they need, even in the landscape that we are now because of that. So that's another thing to share. And again, highlighting and, and lifting up the connection between our work, it really is integrally tied and it is work that is for the same communities that have been marginalized and for whom being able to have the choice around their labor conditions and their reproductive rights and health are all uh, about self-determination and liberation. And I think that's where we want to go together. That's a beautiful note to end off. Thank you again for speaking with us. You've been wonderful to listen to and wonderful to learn from. Once again, we want to thank all of our guests for their time and their insights as they spoke about the attacks on reproductive rights and what this means for our communities. Our Morhaleha today, as many of them stressed, the attack on reproductive rights is not only a woman's issue, but a worker's issue, a Latino issue, a class issue. It's imperative that we stay vigilant and that we act across our communities to fight for access to reproductive health. Thank you for listening to El Desvio, Many Roads, One Destination. Our podcast explores the many ways that we activists and trade unionists 
try to get to the destination of social and economic justice. Lachla's El Desvio podcast is a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, the voice of working people. To learn more about issues that affect workers, visit laborradionetwork.org. This podcast was made possible by the support of the AFL-CIO and the Si Podemos Fund, LACLA's national C4 organization.